Well, I'm Eddie. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's so good to see you, especially if you're new. If you are new, I, I, I'm not the first person to say welcome, but, but I am so glad that you've decided to join us. We are in a series where we're going through the values of Grace Covenant Church. And that, when you put it like that, sounds like the, the moment for you to go and take a nap. And, and my hope is that that would not be the case right now. As I said last week, that the reason we, we want to think about these things and, and put them before you is because we believe as a church that these are the things that, that shape the culture or the atmosphere of who we are. And so when you come here and you, you come on a Sunday morning or you attend a Tuesday night class or you are in a small group, these are the things that we want to permeate everything that we do and believe. And so last week we talked about evangelism and what it looks like to, to worship God and, and really live a life that, that reaches out and proclaims God's goodness because there's an overflow of us proclaiming God's goodness to God. So we worship and because we worship, we, we reach out and we evangelize. And this week... We're going to talk about lordship, another one of those words that's so exciting for very few people, but, but it's a good thing. I mean, we, we, were, we were worshiping and we're, we're singing, and I was just struck by, by the reality that when we scream and we pray, or well, not scream, but when we, when we sing and we yell and we, we proclaim, you know, holy is the Lord, holy is Jesus it's, it's a cross-section of all of creation, and we're stepping into something that's happening in eternity. You know, in Isaiah chapter 6, we see that Isaiah gets this vision of the Lord, and, and we, can, we can believe that this is a, a, a Christophany, a pre-incarnation vision of Christ, and he's seated on the throne and, and there are these angels or these beings who all that they do is proclaim his glory. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And there's no reason to think that they've stopped. So even right now, and, and I was struck again by when we were in worship, we're, we're not doing something unique. We're not doing something uh, different, but we're entering into the worship that's been happening since God created everything and will continue to happen when all of the, the world is is brought to bend its knee towards God. I mean, that is, that's amazing. You know, sometimes we think of worship as just, it's happening in this room. And yes, it is happening in this room. But so much more is happening. And we're, we're being invited into, and we're entering into something that involves heavenly, uh, eternal beings. I mean, it's amazing. And, and lordship is something that... that expresses a similar kind of eternal reality. And because of that, uh, I want to talk about the Ninja Turtles. There we go. When I was growing up, uh, one of my heroes was Donatello, not, not the 14th century sculptor, but the, the purple Ninja Turtle. I didn't love the color, but, but he, was, he was nerdy, he was uh, an inventor, he was creative, he had a bow staff. So like as a kid... You know, there wasn't a whole lot of hope of me getting like a samurai sword. So, you know, I, I could, I, Leonardo was cool. And if you're not in, in Ninja Turtles, just bear with me. You're going to just go look it up later. Um, they exist now, but they're kind of, it's not worth it. Uh, they had, it was the golden age of the Ninja Turtles. Anyways, so I had no hope of really getting my hands on some, some swords or some size, maybe some nunchucks, but Michelangelo was a bit, 
he was a, a goofball. But Donatello, I mean, you could get your hands on a, on a stick. Then you go in my backyard, Prince William County, there's, uh, there were trees, and we'd just go in the back and, and grab something that, that resembled a bow staff, and me and my friend would fight. And we could be Donatello. And he was a bit of my hero, right? He, he was the one I wanted to know about him. I wanted to know about what he believed, kind of how he, he pursued life. I wanted to know what he could do, and I wanted to be like him. Really, he was, he was my hero, and because he was my hero, he kind of shaped a bit of my reality for a period there. Clearly enough for me to bring it up 20 years later, right? <laughs> and the reality is, heroes, they define our reality. Whoever your hero is, is going to define your reality. When we think about lordship, rather than thinking about that term, which can seem kind of um, abstract, I want us to think about lordship as, as who our hero is. Who's defining our reality? We want to let Jesus Christ, our true Lord, and hopefully our true hero, define our reality. We ought to be seeking to know him, seeking to understand what he wants, and ultimately seeking to obey him. So we're going to be in the book of Colossians, chapter 1. So you can go there right now with me. We're going to look at verses 9 through 14. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. If you could go ahead and stand up, I'm going to read it. And hopefully we're going to read, you know, I'm going to read it myself. Because this version is slightly different than my version. I'm just going to do that. And so stand with me as I read. And so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you and we ask you to help us to see Jesus Christ as our Lord and our hero. Father, you've, you've beckoned us into a, a story that is grander than any story that we could ever be a part of, a story that spans from before the foundations of the world through into eternity. And you, you invite us to be a part of it. But I pray that we would find our place in your story rightly, that we would not seek to be our own hero or find other heroes, but ultimately we would see Jesus Christ as the one to whom we ought to bow our knee. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So I want to give you a little context about this letter. Paul is, he's praying for the Colossians and he starts really in verse three, praying for the Colossians and he's, he's thanked them for their faith. If you look at verse three, it says, we always thank the God, uh, thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. So he's heard from people around that, hey, this Colossian church, they, they're, they're doing the right things, they're trusting God, they're believing him, and he's, he's thanking God for what he's seeing in them. He's thanking God for the fact that they have expressed faith in Jesus. Um, he also thanks God for the love that they've expressed for all the saints and the hope that they have, as it says in verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Now, the reality is, 
lordship begins with the gospel. If you trust Jesus to save you from the penalty of sin, you know, the gospel basically says that, that Jesus did some things, he accomplished some things that, are, uh, that have, that have uh, implications for our lives. He, he lived this perfect, righteous life, whereas you and I have lived an imperfect, unrighteous, sinful life. He died on the cross bearing the sin and, and shame and curse of all who would trust in him, and he rose again on the third day as a way of, of vindicating himself as, as holy and righteous, right? The fact that he didn't stay dead was proof that he was actually righteous, right? The, the death comes because people sin. Death comes as a, as a punishment, as a curse for people who sin. So Jesus Christ, who did not sin, rose again, defeating death. He also defeated Satan, the, the, the king of this world or the king of the air, as, as Paul says in Ephesians. And he, he defeated, as he said here, the domain of darkness. And, and that gospel reality says that we can trust in him and we can be saved from the penalty of our sin. But not only that, it's not just that I can be saved and I can live the life I want to live. No, but we get saved and we also receive Jesus as our Lord, as our master. Again, this is one of those Christian words, right? Lord, Lord, you know, we, hallelujah. We don't even know what that means. It means praise the Lord. Or maybe you do. But th- this is a word that, that communicates the fact that, that there's a hierarchy, that there's a, there's a, there's a reporting structure. You know, it, it's God, it's, it's Jesus, and then it's us. We're, it's not a democracy, as, as I've said before. I mean, we, we sang a bunch of songs, King Jesus, and, and there's an aspect of that that we get excited about. You know, he's, he's our king, we're on the winning team, you know, uh, we, we aren't the losers, and that's true, and that's great, but the other part of that reality is we are not in charge. And that can be less exciting. If you have kids, you know what this looks like. You know, they, they, oh, I love the fact that you bring home the bacon, mom and dad, and I thank you that you, you bought me this food, and I thank you so much that you, you give me these toys, but also I'm, I'm in charge. Like, sorry, Billy, you're not in charge. It's not how it works in this household. We, we, we receive him in the gospel, not only as Christ, but as, as Lord. In Acts, 20, uh, Acts chapter 2, Peter says it this way, he, he's preaching at, at Pentecost and so everyone's speaking in tongues and people are looking around, they're kind of freaked out and they're like, these guys are super drunk. And he says, no, they're not drunk. This is what's happened in redemptive history. And he goes and he ultimately says, this Jesus, in verse uh, 36, um, Acts chapter 2, 36, God has made him, this Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You can't separate the two. If you come to Jesus for salvation, you come to him as a servant. You know, in one of the songs it talked about, if all of the world will surrender, so will I. If all, all of creation surrenders, so will I. Right? The call to trust in Jesus is a call to surrender. This is what lordship is. And the good news is he's not, he's not a mean, vindictive, evil lord. He's a hero. So if Christ is our Savior, he is our Lord, and we must seek to know him, to understand and, and obey him. So let's look at verse, verse 3. Let me get back there. It's okay, it's going to be all right. 
Um, we understand that Jesus is Lord. He states it in verse 3. Jesus is the Lord. Not us, not me, not Eddie, not your money, not your spouse, not your kid, not your friend. Jesus is your Lord. And when we operate that way, it's going to change the way we interact with people. Sometimes we treat our children as, as uh, lords and we get angry because they won't do what they, we're, they're told, and, but, but they're the ones that are in charge. And so there's this weird tension that we feel. But when we, we per, pursue Jesus as Lord, that, that sets everything in order and we realize, okay, God has said that I have to treat this child this way. I have to lovingly discipline him or her and I have to be kind to them and I have to lead them even when they hurt my feelings. Whereas if, if the, the child is Lord, then when the child is nice to us, I feel good. When the child is not, not nice to us, I don't feel good. When, when our spouse, thank you, Pastor Jermaine, when, when our spouse is Lord or when our friend is Lord, then we live or die by their opinion. But, but when, when, the, when Jesus is Lord, we're able to love them unconditionally. Our love isn't conditioned on, on whether or not they're treating us nicely or treating us poorly. It's not conditioned on whether or not we've succeeded or failed in that moment. We just know the call is to love unconditionally, to set an example in the household, whether it's the man or the woman, to love like Christ loved. We need to know who the Lord is. We need to know who our hope is in. He says in verse 5, uh, we're thanking God because of what? Their hope laid up for you, your, the hope laid up for you in heaven. If Jesus is Lord, then our hope is in him. Your hope, again, it's not in your children. It's not in your, your, your employment status. It's not in your other relationships. Because the reality is most of these things will fail us at least once or twice in your life. You know, the psalmist says, my, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you are my portion. If it's my flesh and my heart are my portion, then when they fail, everything crumbles. If, if, if you're a parent and your, your faith and your hope is in the success of your child, you're putting too much pressure on that child. And when, when they fail, because they are human, thanks to you, they are sinful, thanks to you, thanks to me, I'm, I'm there with you. Things will, things will go poorly for you because you've put too much pressure on them. When your spouse fails you, it's going to put too much pressure on that relationship. Our hope can't be ultimately in these things. It can't be in your employment. Our hope, our hope is in, in the God behind your employment. Our hope is in Christ who is in heaven. And, and the cool thing, so we're, we're not Old Testament believers. The Old Testament believers, they, they had to say, I believe in you, God. I don't know what it's going to look like at the end. Yeah. They, they had signs. They had, they had symbols. They had promises. But we have Christ. Yeah. We, we have the, this. And we can say, I know what the end is because I've been told. I've got 27 books that lay out the ending in addition to the others. We have a Lord in whom we can hope. We need to know who our hero is. In verse 9, he says, he, he prays. And so from this day, we've heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, etc. Um, a, a small point to notice, who is Paul praying to? He's praying to God, right? 
Who is Paul not praying to? The Colossians. We don't, he's thinking God because it's God who's accomplishing this. And sometimes we, we, want it, we want to say, God, you are Lord, you are God, you are good. But when we pray and when we think, ultimately we're, we're saying to ourselves, okay, Eddie, how are you going to get yourself out of this situation? And, and this self-conversation is really prayer to who I believe is Lord, me. But, but what does Paul say? I thank God. We thank God because God is, even when he's talking about the love that they're expressing, he still thanks God. God, I mean, that'll mess you up for a moment. Yes, absolutely. You, are, you have free will and you have to do things and you're held responsible for these things. And yet, Paul can legitimately say, I thank God for what you're doing. Because it's God who is Lord. We need to know who our hero is. Lordship starts when we define who the master is, who our Lord is, who our hero is. And, and again, this is one of those things with, where if you're just kind of, you're kind of going at it half-heartedly, oh yeah, Jesus is Lord. You know, you can come to church, praise the Lord. We, we love Jesus. But, but who is Lord when things go horribly wrong? That's right. But who do you say is Lord when things go horribly wrong? Yeah. We need to know who our Lord is, who our master is. That's the first step in, in living out this lordship that God calls us to. You know, you, when you, when you want to see something change at a school, you know, you have a teacher that's, that's causing problems, or you want to see something change at a corporation, what you don't do is you don't go um, to the janitor. You don't go to the guy in the cubicle and say, hey, we need to fix these things, Bob. He's just going to be like, I have some accounting to do. I don't know what you want. You go to the CEO. You write a letter. You, you go to the person who's in charge. And Paul here, he's giving us the person who's in charge. He's praying to God. We want to understand who the Lord is, and then we want to understand what he wants. Again, kids are so instructive in this moment. You want to know who they think is in charge? Listen to what, who, who's expressing the desires and the wants. It's not, Daddy, what do you want to do today? What, what's the schedule... What's the schedule look like for you today? It's, how, can, how can I enter into your plans? No, it's, Daddy, I want to do this. We need to get this. I want this. And I love my kids, and I will, we, we do these things. That's what kids do. But it's instructive. God gives us that to show us, like, hey, buddy. You know, and we, we wake up in our day, and we're like, I got to start doing X, Y, or Z. Without even thinking about the fact that, oh, maybe I should see what God's will is for the day. So how do we become, let's look at verse 9 real quick. And so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of what? His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but Paul is not interested in your will. He doesn't mention your will or my, he didn't even mention his will. He says, I, I pray that you'd be filled, filled with the knowledge. He doesn't even say, you know, it'd be good for you to kind of familiarize yourself with the, the God handbook and the things that he wants. You know, you have sign at the bottom and then you can forget about it. No, he wants you to know to the degree that you're filled with his will. The word there is, it's, it's literally, it's out, you're filling something up. It's not, just, it's not just a way of saying knowing something. It's knowing it to the degree that it, it inundates you. I think Spurgeon said it, when, when you, you, they cut you, do you bleed Bible? 
What fills you up? I mean, that's, for me, that's, uh, that's a little uh, convicting because, you know, I, I tend to bleed like movie quotes, <laughs> television quotes, you know, stupid jokes. And, and that's fine. You know, we all like to laugh. That's great. Entertainment is not intrinsically evil. But, but what are you filled with? How do we become filled with the knowledge of his, of his will? I mean, we, we've, we've been given this. We've been given this Bible. Uh, not, and, and again, what a privilege. What a privilege that we have. I've got, I've got like six or eight of these at home. And I tend to only read one. And now I just look at it on my phone, so it, it's terrible. I mean, it's great. I'm, I'm thankful. I remember being in China, and, and I was pre- teaching English, and I had... Uh, just on my bed, I, I'm sorry if you can't see me if you're on, no, I won't do that. Th- that was going to be my bed, but Facebook can't see me and I'm about to create some problems sound-wise. Um, so this will be my bed. And I, I had it on my bed, uh, we, were, we were teaching, and one of, the, one of the other teachers who was Chinese and in China, he came and he looked and he, oh, you have one of those. It's like, yeah, it's, it's a Bible. And he's like, oh. You know, for him to have a Bible was, was potentially problematic Legally speaking. And then, t- you read that? How? Yeah, I mean, I try to read it every day. It's like, oh my. And, and there, there are these stories, if you read about people who, where, where they don't have the Bible, well, they'll have one page of the Bible, and they'll just, they'll read it, and they'll memorize it, and they'll cherish it. Wow. And, and we're kind of like, you know, the kid who's at all the candy, and it's like, he has all the candy, and he's like, I don't want any more candy. And everyone else is just looking in and at, at the candy shop, don't, don't forget what, what a, a, a wealth we have. If you want to know the Bible, read the Bible, ingest the Bible, pro- process the Bible. If you need a Bible reading plan, we've got the five by five by five, five days a week, five minutes a day, five ways to go deeper, I think is the third five. But I mean, and, and there are plenty of people who can help you with that. There are Bibles out there. If you don't know how to read the Bible, talk to someone. There's, there are people in here who can help you understand how to read the Bible. But read the Bible. Memorize the Bible. And you can memorize the Bible. I'm going to go on a slight diatribe here. But you can memorize the Bible, as I've said before, because probably most of you know Britney Spears songs that you don't even like. You know, like, X, Y, and Z musician songs, and you're like, I don't even know how I listen to that. I listen to 91.9 or 104.1, and I don't know how that happened. But, but we, we can memorize things when we, when we want to, yes. you probably know what your salary number is, right? That's a valuable number to know. You know when you get paid, what Tuesdays you get, or what, what Friday you get paid, what Friday you don't get paid. There are things you can memorize if you want to. And I don't say that to shame you. I just say that to encourage you that you can do it. We want to memorize the Bible. We want to pray through the Bible. Part of, part of the reason we find it so we can find it so boring is because we don't interact with the Bible. We don't listen to what it has to say. We just do the kind of reading where you're like, and it's literally like you're seeing words and part of your brain is reading those words, but the other part is like, I want a ham sandwich. (laughs) And at the end, you're like, I have no idea what I just read, but I'm hungry. And... And my encouragement is engaged with the word. Pray it. It'd, it'd be better for you to read two verses and think through them and pray them than to read four paragraphs or, or two chapters and just think about a ham sandwich the whole time. 
We want to know, and, and, and the reason we want to do this is not just to check things off. It's because we want to know who, who our Lord is, who your hero is. Jesus wants to be your hero. Do you need a hero? I'm not going to sing that song. There we go. Thank you. Someone delivered. We won't say who. We do need a hero. And we have one in Jesus Christ. And we can know him. We can know what he wants. The ultimate goal, though, of understanding what God wants is not just to say, hey, I know some stuff. It's not to be able to win a, a Bible quiz bowl, as cool as that is. It's, it's so that we can obey him. You know, we don't want to be like the kid whose dad calls them and says, here, come here, come in, come into the kitchen, or, or I want to talk to you. And they're just in the other room, and there's silence. Come on, hey, Billy. Billy's a problem child. If you have a kid named Billy, I'm not talking about him. <laughs> Billy, come on. Finally, dad has to walk in the other room. Billy, did you hear me? Yes. You heard my words. Okay. Good. That's all I wanted you to do is hear my words. No, he wants, the, the father wants for Billy to hear the words and then act on those words, right? Yes. If, we, if we want to hear the words, and, and again, in reading your Bible, it will give you strength and motivation if you will obey the Bible. It will give you motivation to live life engaged in the word if you are engaged in the word with action. We want to walk in a manner that pleases him. Look at verse 10. You know, we pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. He talks about walking in a worthy manner. This is not just a one-time event. He wants us to have a habit, have a lifestyle of walking in a manner that's worthy. See, lordship is not just, not just saying, Jesus is my Lord, and then living how I want to live. Because what I'm saying and what I'm doing communicate two different things. That's like, well, I won't say that. It, we want our word and our confession to be consistent with our action. If Jesus is our Lord, if he's our hero, then people should be, should be able to see that in the way we live. He wants us to walk. How? Worthy of who? The Lord. We're being called to rise to his worth. That's why he, the Bible says in other places, be holy as I am holy. Our walk is one where God is calling us and he's challenging us to rise to the worth of God. To live a life worthy of God. Now that can be depressing when you're honest about your life. But my encouragement to you is that Jesus came and he lived a humble life so that in our humility, in our humble uh, life, we might be able to trust in him even, even when we fail to live at a, at a level that's absolutely worthy of him. Yeah. He calls us to it, but he also equips us for it. He calls us to live a life worthy of the Lord, walking in a manner that pleases him. When you think about your day, when you wake up on Monday, who are you trying to please? When you, when you interact with your spouse or your friend, your roommate, your employer, your, your fellow coworker, who are you angling to, to, to please? Are you saying things to kind of make things work out for your own personal pleasure? 
Are you, are you saying things to, to make sure that the other person is pleased so that you don't have to be displeased by their lack of pleasure? Who are you trying to please? Again, if, if our pursuit is walking in a manner that's worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're trying to please God, it's going to cause us to love in ways that people would not normally love, and it's going to cause us to stand in, in faith and truth in ways that we would not normally do. We would be, we'll become brave where we're, we're otherwise cowardly. We'll become soft where we're otherwise hard. And people will look at us and say, something is different about the way you live. And it'll be, yes, my Lord is Jesus. My Lord is not the world. My Lord is not my money. My Lord is not uh, my friend or my family. My Lord is God. And it makes me live in a distinct manner. It makes me walk in a different kind of way. I mean, you think about, again, you think about the early church and the, the persecution they went to, through. Just read some of those accounts. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, uh, Polycarp was one guy that I, I often refer to. But they lived in a way that was countercultural. You know, they're, they're setting people on fire. The culturally acceptable thing to do is to avoid, the human thing to do is, let's avoid the fire. Let's say things that will help us not be burned alive. But who was their Lord? It wasn't Caesar. It was Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord. And so they would say, Jesus is my Lord. You're not my Lord. Jesus is Lord over death. You're not Lord over death. Jesus is Lord over my opinions and my wants and my desires. You're not Lord over that. And they burned alive. Walking in a manner that's worthy. Walking in a manner that tries to please God is going to look countercultural. It's going to look different. It's going to challenge you. It challenges me. It's going to challenge you uh, to, to in, in how you interact with your friends and family. It's going to be challenging in how you approach your work environment. It's going to be challenging in how you live your life in your neighborhood. But if Jesus is Lord, it's the way we got to live. So he gives us a sketch of what it looks like to walk worthily. In verses 10 through 13, we're going to finish up quickly. We want to walk in a manner that's pleasing to him. How, what does it look like to please God to be worthy? Or to, to walk worthily. We, we don't have to be worthy. God makes us worthy, but we walk worthily because God has made us worthy. That being said, we bear fruit in every good work. God cares about how you live, and he cares about you bearing good fruit. He wants you to bear good fruit at work. He wants you to bear good fruit at, at home. You know, if, if you're the call of a Christian is not to abandon all business and become a, a monk. I don't want that for you guys because we have to pay the bills. And I'm thankful for all of the businessmen and women who are in this place and who are serving God in their workplace. The call for you is to walk with integrity. The call for you is to, to bear good fruit. Moms who stay at home, the call for you is to lovingly disciple your children. Dads, lovingly disciple your children, bearing good fruit. He cares about that. That is a way that we walk in a manner that pleases him. And be encouraged, that pleases him. If you are in a job and you hate your job, it is monotonous, mind-numbing, terrible. You can please God in it. You can please God in it. And my hope is that that would bring you pleasure. If you're, if you're a mom and, and you don't get a lot of sleep and your kid doesn't sleep and it is just, it is the trenches as they say, 
you can, be, you can take solace in the fact that, that God smiles over your efforts. God, he, he delights. He, he's pleased by your hard work. People aren't giving you the employee of the year award. They're not necessarily saying, you know, we're going to promote you to super mom. And so you, you might not be seeing the reward, but God is pleased by your good works. We want to grow in good works. We want to increase in the knowledge of God. Knowledge is neat because knowledge, knowledge, (laughs) theology and knowledge, uh, knowledge is necessary but not sufficient. We have to act on that knowledge. We just talked about that. But then when we act, there's a knowledge that comes from our obedience. Just, Just walk with the Lord a little bit and he'll ask you to do stuff and you'll say, but why God? And he'll say, no, go ahead and do it. And then afterwards you're like, oh, that's why. There's a knowledge that God will give us that will help inform our walk that comes only as a result of obedience. Joyful endurance and patience, verse 11, may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, what for all endurance and patience with joy. We're we're strengthened according to the Lord's might. There are gonna be moments in your life where you're like, I can't do this. It's not a happy prayer. I don't wanna do this. I can't do this. I hate this. And what is God gonna say? I'm giving you my strength to do this. You know, this marriage is difficult. I'm a difficult person to live with. This person is a difficult person to live with. I don't want to do this. I can't do this. No, I'm going to give you my strength. This, this job situation is difficult. This lack of a job situation, I'm, I'm unemployed, whatever the case may be, it's difficult. God's going to say, I'm going to give you my strength for all endurance, all endurance, all patience, with joy. I mean, that, that blows people's minds where, where you're... you're in the grind at work, you're in the grind in your marriage, and, and people are looking at your life and saying, that is tough, you must hate it, and you say, God is so good. I'm learning so much about him, I'm, I'm filled with so much joy in the fact that he is working right now. Joyful endurance, and then ultimately gratitude toward our Father. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. His, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of who? His beloved son. We give thanks to the father because the father has given us an inheritance. You know, God is Lord because he deserves it. You and I, we're not, we're not providing ourselves with an inheritance that lasts forever. As awesome as we are, we're never going to provide ourselves with an inheritance that could last forever. Anything that we produce within and of ourselves is going to burn and be done figuratively, when we die, if not sooner. I mean, so much of what we do even now, it's, it's inval- it's, it's, it loses its value after a week. But, but God has provided an inheritance for us. So we thank God. This is how we can walk in a manner that's pleasing is by having gratitude towards the God who has done this. He's the God who, who has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into who? The kingdom of his beloved son. It's not, it's not my kingdom. Lordship means that I am not building my own kingdom. Lordship means that you are not building your own kingdom. You may have your own business. You may have your own wealth. You may have your own big family. But if it terminates at you and your will, you're doing it wrong. All of these things are given for the sake of his kingdom, his purposes, his destiny. And, and we ought to have gratitude towards the one who makes it possible, the Lord. Christ has secured our redemption, it says in verse 14. We have redemption through Christ. 
and we have the forgiveness of sins through Christ. We are recipients of God's grace. God is the hero. When we read the Bible, it's not encouraging us to say, hey, you're the hero of the story. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. God loves you. But you and I are not the main characters. We're supporting at best. We are the foils. We just reflect the glory of the main character, Jesus. We are recipients of God's grace. So who is the hero of your life? Who's the hero of your story? I, can, I, can, I just want to tell you this as a friend. If, if you are the hero of your own story, then your story is going to be short and small. Yes. If you are the hero of your story, your purpose is going to be too shallow, much more shallow than what God had intended for you. If you are the hero of your story, your destiny is going to be fragile because it's only as strong as you are on your weakest day, which is kind of terrifying to me. If Christ is your hero, you are invited into a story that starts from before the beginning of time and extends into eternity. That's your new story. If you're in this room and you don't know who Jesus Christ is, you haven't trusted him, God invites you to have your sins forgiven, to live a life, to be invited into a life full of joy, and and to live in, in the purposes that you've been created for. And that purpose is not to live a life that spans 80 or 90 years. It's a life that's intended to go on for eternity and forever reflect something amazing. You want to be part, we we all have this desire to be something big, to be part of something that's bigger than us. And God is saying, come, be a part of something that is so big, it can't be held by time. If Christ is your hero, your purpose goes from before the foundations of the world into eternity. And if Christ is your hero, your destiny is to live a glorious, joyful life that never ends. What have we said? Lordship is rightly knowing who the hero is and dedicating your life to him. So who is the hero of your story? Let's pray. Father God, I I confess that I struggle to, to, to keep you as the hero. So often I, I want to be, I be the, on the center stage. And I know that for some of us in this room, we, we struggle. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would help us by showing yourself to be the hero, showing yourself to be the mighty Lord, showing yourself to be as glorious as your Bible 